This morning's scripture is from Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He fasted 40 days and 40 nights, and afterwards he was famished. The tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, One does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again it is written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said to him, All these I will give you, if you will fall down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil left him, and suddenly angels came and waited on him. The word of the Lord. Good morning, friends. How are you? Good. It's good to be with you. This is a, a warm place. Do you know that? Like, do you miss that when you come in here every week? Like, you know how, like, your house has a smell? Right? And, well, mine does. And whenever we have people over, I'm always worried that uh, it smells like something I can't smell. That can be a good thing, or it can be a bad thing. Uh, it's a good thing here. Uh, walking in, even this morning, uh, at the very beginning while the band was rehearsing, it's a warm, generous place, and that has a lot to do with, it has everything to do with what is happening in here week after week. So this is a good place to step into. Uh, I feel, and I hope you do this morning as well. I want to start, um, and I want to make a confession and then we'll, we'll, we'll jump into the story uh, for today. And here's my confession. Anytime I'm up in front of uh, people talking about God, I want to be clever. Like I want to say something new that you've never heard of before. I want you to go, man, he's smart. <laughs> like whatever he's got, I want. Like that is a very deep, deep thing underneath the thing inside me. Uh, that usually doesn't work out well when I go after that, when I embrace that and I'm trying to be you know, clever and smart and, uh, and show you guys how smart I am. It always fails, always fails. Uh, Columbo, it's Columbo, not Matlock Columbo. When I first started preaching, I'd have like this script. Sorry, that was Haynes and I were talking before. Uh, when I first started preaching, I had like this script that I would follow and I would build it to the end and I actually had it called on my, my like template, the Columbo moment where I would like pull a thing. You guys know Columbo? You know, like, oh, by the way. And then you walk out and the whole case is blown wide open. And 
I don't want to do that. I'm not going to do that. It doesn't work. Uh, I usually end up looking dumb, not smart anyhow. So um, what I want to do today is I want to look at a story together. Because the story and the life of Jesus is the best thing that we can gather around. There's nothing better. And we don't need to be clever when we follow Jesus. We just need to listen and get up and follow. All right, so I'm not going to be clever. Uh, and that's my confession. Um, let me introduce myself just a little bit, just so you've got a, a little bit of context. Some of you might know my wife, Sinead. She has uh, invited, let's, yeah, let's use the word invited, not conned, many of you into... <laughs> running marathons on behalf of uh, kids in Africa, Team World Vision. So if you've done that, that's her. Or if you haven't done that, well, that's her too. And rumor is she'll be back here inviting some of you to do that. I like to say it's the, um, it's the worst thing that I've ever done that I'm going to continue to do. <laughs> right? Like it changes your life and it does it somehow as you're doing something grueling, your feet hit the pavement. It's a good thing. So uh, that's my wife. We have five kids. We live in White Bear Lake. Uh, we have two pugs who, yes, I dress up in Star Wars costumes. <laughs> I dress them up. My kids don't. My wife doesn't. I bought them. I'm a, uh, I'm a Star Wars, ner well, nerd is a safe word. Anyways, uh, I like Star Wars a lot. Um, on top of that, I'm a church planter, as Katie with a C said. Uh, I'm at Awaken Community in St. Paul, and basically June 1, we're going to begin, uh, well, we're already in the process, but they're going to, in love, kick us out, and we're going to start another Awaken Community somewhere, somewhere around near St. Paul. Uh, I really like the, the early church. I could care less, mostly, what, uh, what people today are writing. I like Steve's stuff. That was good. Um, <laughs> fine, right? Right. Uh, <laughs> but mostly if it was written before like 800, not interested. Uh, I mean, I am, but you know, uh, so I love the early church. I love talking and thinking and dreaming about prayer, what it can look like for us to explore prayer as a mystery and figure out how we can cultivate a habit of it in our lives. I love to do that. I love talking about using the Psalms that way. And I've been obsessed with the Lord's Prayer over the last like five years. Like there is something there that we just have just missed out on. Uh, it's beautiful. I actually think it's like uh, the most concise creed of what it actually means to follow Jesus. So I'll let that sit there, but love that. And I love the church calendar. And I love the church calendar for a couple reasons. The first is... Uh, it. It forces us to tell a good story. I, uh, I started wondering a while ago if, if, our, if people in our culture weren't showing up to church because, not because, you know, we didn't have the coolest lights, it was a bad show, whatever, but we were telling crappy stories. We were doing self-help, we were telling people how to be a better husband, a better wife, how to do certain things better. And what you start to notice is, where do people show up to church a lot? Christmas and Easter. We call them Christers. Uh, it's true, we do, we call them priesters. And the theory is they show up on Christmas and Easter because they're making grandma happy or grandpa or mom or whoever. I've started to wonder if it has actually more to do with it's the only time we're telling a good story. And the church calendar 
helps us tell that great story all year long. On top of that, the church calendar helps me mark time well. I don't find myself going, ah, it's the Super Bowl. Ah, it's another uh, Hallmark holiday, Valentine's Day, whatever. Ah, it's the 4th of July. The church calendar reminds us that there is a bigger story than the story of America, the NFL, whatever's new on Netflix. There's a better way to mark time, to tell time, and the church calendar helps us find that rhythm. And so I love that you guys do that. I, when I was talking to Steve about today, he was talking about that you guys did talk about Epiphany every week, and I was like, score. Uh, yes. So I love the church calendar for that. We are in the first week. This is the first Sunday in the season of Lent. Uh, Lent started off way, way back at the beginning as a chunk of time that was preparation for baptism on Easter for new converts. That's that's how the whole thing started. It was connected to some other rhythms that were happening at the time uh, in, the, in the Jewish culture, but it was in the church, that's how it started. It started off as a season of preparation. Over the years, it's sort of changed and grown quite a bit. Uh, today, we use it as a way to tell the story of the crucifixion, the, the struggle, the difficulty, so that we aren't just people of Resurrection Sunday we also talk about the path to resurrection, which, friends, it, it involves some suffering. The way of Jesus is a difficult way. And so Lent also uh, helps us make space for that. Lent traditionally begins with the telling of Jesus' temptation in the wilderness, the scripture uh, that we read this morning. And so what I want to do is I want to tell a little, I want to expand on that story just a little bit, because I think the danger for us in, in entering into Lent is that uh, we're trying to get something out of it. We're trying to like squeeze. We're compelled. There's a compulsion. And if we walk into Lent trying to fast and it's like a hunger strike to get God to give us stuff to earn things, we're going to miss out on the beauty. Because there is grace, there is life, there is friendship before we walk into the wilderness. So what I want to do is uh, I want to tell you guys, I want us to gather around this story. I want to tell you the story. And as I tell you the story, I want to invite you to ask yourself a question. How does God describe me? How does he name me? When he looks at me, what does he say? Let's pray. Let me pray and then we'll jump into the story. Abba, we're thankful people. We start there. No matter how we got here this morning, no matter what the day 
was like. If it was difficult, we thank you that we made it, even if just barely. If there was ease and there was goodness as we arrived this morning, we thank you for your goodness that we tasted. Would you calm our hearts, open us up to hear your invitation this morning to come know ourselves as sons and daughters, beloved people. Amen. In the very beginning, and you guys know this, the world was wild and waste. Tohu vavohu. That was at the beginning. And God stepped into that space and made all the things that we see. Light, life. All the things that creep. All the things that grow. The seeds. And he called them good. And when he saw it all together, he said, it's very good. At one point as he was creating, he knelt down into the, the dust of the earth and he formed people. Man and woman. And as he made their face he made their nose, their nostrils. And when he was done, he breathed life into them. From dust they were made. At some point in the garden, Adam and Eve decided that they had a better idea on how things should work. So they decided that they were going to go off on their own. God said, go this way. They said, we'll go this way. And so God continued to let them go their own way. And as they continued their journey out of the garden, out into the wilderness, God spoke these words to them. He said, remember, from dust you came, to dust you will return. And in a way, we have been wandering the wilderness ever since. Abram wandered it. He left what was known for a promise. Hagar fled there for fear of her life. Jacob wandered most of his life in the wilderness of shattered, broken relationships. Joseph endured the wild of betrayal. Moses, the murderer, flees to the, deserts, uh, the desert of Egypt. David flees Saul. Elijah flees Jezebel. The story of going into the wilderness is our story. It has been our story from the beginning, and it continues to today. And you might wonder, you might be afraid... 
that God does not speak in the wilderness, that he only speaks in the garden. But in the wilderness, just as in the garden, God names us. He calls to us. He invites us back into his life because God is Abba. And Abba loves us, our holy Father in heaven. In the wilderness, Abram becomes Abraham and receives a son at a time when he shouldn't have. Hagar, an Egyptian slave, meets the Hebrew God in the wilderness when she is at the end of her rope. And she says, I have seen the one who has seen me. Jacob wrestles with God and finds peace with his brother. He receives a new name, Israel. Joseph discovers that God has been with him the whole time. And in the wilderness, he learns how to see good come from evil. Moses meets the I will be who I will be in a burning bush that will not be consumed. And he receives a push to go back to Egypt to do the very thing that sent him there in the first place, which was, let my people go. David is forged into a king. Elijah remembers who is great. And on and on and on and on. Jesus goes into the wilderness too. He goes there to see his cousin, John the Baptizer, the straight way maker, wild John, crazy John, soapbox preacher John. You know, the guy out there eating honey and insects. <laughs> Both Jesus and John are, are, are peculiar. They're, they're cousins, they're born not far apart from each other, and their moms both shouldn't have been moms. Mary was far too young and inexperienced to be a mom. John's mom was too old. She shouldn't have been a mom. Her time had passed. There in the river, in the wilderness, Jesus asks his crazy cousin John to baptize him. He says, John, Will you baptize me? Now, we don't know exactly what John knows about Jesus, but we know that John knows enough to be right when he says, I shouldn't baptize you. You should baptize me. He has a clue that there's something up with his cousin. And get this, Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, experiences a baptism of repentance because it is good to do what is good. And that's what he tells his cousin. He says, John, nope. It is good for me to be baptized. Let's do this. So Jesus, he steps into the river Jordan. And I've always wondered, okay, time out. Did he disrobe? Did he run and jump in like a crazy person off a dock? Like, how did Jesus step into the water 
Was it cautiously? Was it with care? Or was he like, let's do this. This is a good day. How did he go in? He steps in. I assume John dunked him, didn't sprinkle water on him, but hey, we don't know. Uh, we can let that be a mystery. And when Jesus comes up out of the water, it is, you know, oh, one of those moments because the sky rips in half, the Holy Spirit descends on him like a dove, and there is a voice. And what's interesting is the voice that Matthew tells us about is different than the voice that Luke tells us about. One of them says, God speaks just to Jesus. Abba speaks to Jesus. One of them says, he speaks to everyone. Everyone hears it. But his words are the same. You are my son, my beloved. You give me pleasure. You please me. God names, God describes Jesus in that river, in that moment. With those words inscribed on his heart, treasured up in his heart full of life, transfigured by his Father's love, full of the Holy Spirit, Jesus is led, okay, get this, he is led further into the wilderness. He doesn't go into the wilderness. I, I looked it up. I, I went online and I was like, all right, I need to see what the Jordan looks like. It's not a city. It's in the middle of nowhere. Jesus goes further into the wilderness knowing who and whose he is. From the waters of baptism to the dust of the desert. From the conquered promised land, the Roman province of Israel, Judea, baptized in the waters of the river Jordan, Jesus goes into the wilderness, the place of hearing, the place of testing, the place where things that are not become. He goes to begin. It is a walk that many made thousands of years ago as they entered into the promised land. They had been tested in the wilderness for 40 years. Jesus heads back in to where they had come from to make a way to a new promise. Out in the wilderness, in Jesus' wilderness, the devil appears, the tempter, reminiscent of what happens in the garden, reminiscent of what happened in that desert before. And the devil says, if you are hungry, Turn these stones into bread. Jesus was hungry. And I don't mean like the kind of hunger you and I get, right? The boredom hungry, the hunger you feel when you drive past a Culver's, 
or Chipotle or wherever you can get exactly what you want when you want it, because America. (laughs) That's not the kind of hungry Jesus was. Jesus was hungry. And it wasn't just physical. He was hungry to know who and whose he was. So I imagine Jesus muttering, barely able to, to, to get words out. There's a hunger that bread can't meet. Abba's word is my food. Now, (laughs) he's referencing Deuteronomy. He's going back to the Torah, right? But what else could he be referencing? Had in this timeline, this story, had Jesus heard God speak? Is there maybe a word from God that he also might be thinking about? What had he heard 40 days earlier? You are my son, whom I love. You please me. Jesus is surely referencing the Torah. But I think he's also referencing what he had heard before he went further into the wilderness. I don't live by this. I live by what he says, what Abba says about me. And maybe in the wilderness, Jesus had started to wonder if Abba really meant that. If he loved me, would I really be out here? Would I be hungry? Does a loving Abba let his son hunger? Sensing an opening, the adversary makes his next move and he whispers, if his words to you are I love you, then test them. Prove them to be true. As though he read Jesus' mind. If you were loved, would you be hungry? Here, We're in God's temple. Maybe in the desert, God couldn't see you were hungry, Jesus. Maybe out there. But surely in his temple, he sees. Why don't you jump? Because it's also written that he'll command his angels concerning you. That that you you won't so much as skin your knee. Because Abba doesn't, he wouldn't let bad things happen to his son, would he? With every muscle tense, Jesus says with great care, no, it is written, it is said, don't test God, don't play games with Abba. The subtle approach is not working for the adversary. There's no ground being gained. What worked on Adam and Eve is not working on the second Adam. So the accuser says, Jesus, Yeshua, salvation, son of God, you drive a hard bargain. You negotiate well. Well done. I'm impressed, and I don't offer my praise out lightly. You may be the first to impress me. Help me understand something. If God loves you, 
Why is he calling you to such a hard thing? Why must you struggle? Why must you suffer? That doesn't sound like love. I'll tell you what. Let's strike up a deal. If you'll merely bow to me, if you'll worship me, if you'll kiss me, then I'll give you everything, everywhere. You don't have to follow this guy's way. Inhaling. Jesus remembers. It's Abba's breath in my lungs. It was Abba who breathed into our nose. I am Abba's. And Jesus, who exhausted, had been lying on the ground, barely making it, stands up as best he can in resistance to the twisted truth of the tempter. And he says, it is written, worship God only. I belong to Abba alone. He breathes again, remembering. Defeated, Satan leaves. Exhausted, Jesus collapses. And God's messengers, the angels, show up to care. While the words that Abba spoke in the Jordan ring in Jesus' ears. You are my beloved. You are mine. You please me. If our journey into Lent is us following Jesus, then how Jesus goes into the wilderness has to matter to us. You can't white-knuckle your way through Lent. Give up your thing. Give up social media. You'll probably be better for it. Fast. Do it. Don't eat. Experience real hunger. Push past the hunger of boredom and go for the hunger of longing. Go serve somewhere you've never served. Decide to to create a habit of prayer that marks your day. But don't do it because you're trying to hold on to the monkey bars of life. Do it because like Jesus, you hear an invitation to experience something more, something beyond. One of the things that's always... uh, blown my mind about this story is that God Abba names and describes Jesus before he's done a single thing. 
What has he done? This is the beginning of the gospel. He's turned nothing into nothing yet. At best, he's argued well with some old dudes. Right in the temple. Okay, great. But at this point in the story, Jesus has done nothing to receive his father's accolades. Which means that God's love, God's naming us as his own, God's pleasure, and hear that word, pleasure. He delights in us. When he looks at you, yes, he smiles. All of that stuff pre-exists anything that you've done. That's how we get to go into Lent. It's an adventure. It's a horribly difficult adventure. But the foundation is love. Grace. Mercy. That's where the story begins. So how does Abba describe you? How does he name you? Really? That might be the most important question we can answer today. Because it changes the rest of them. We move from people trying to earn... to people who already have everything we need. And together, we walk into the wilderness of Lent to hear God speak and describe who we are. Let me pray. Abba, Heavenly Father, Father of us all, teach us today to make your name holy in our lives. as we know your name Abba I am who I am I will be who I will be Yahweh Adonai maker of all as we know your name we learn ours help us to trade today our longings for your longings so that all around us anywhere we go it is more like what's around you 
as it is in heaven, let it be on earth. Would you provide our needs today? Our needs, not my needs, our needs. Would you teach us again today that forgiveness is a way of living that can't be experienced by just taking or just giving. It's both. Forgive us and teach us to forgive. And like you did for Jesus as he was tempted in the wilderness, would you lead us not to difficult places to stay but would you deliver us through them? Yours is the kingdom. Yours is the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.